Hi, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing in life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can check out my interview with Caitlin Barish, debut novelist, great conversation. That's up there now at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. And uh, if you want to learn more about them, their conference, their contests, their classes, you can go to pnwa.org. Speaking of classes, I will be teaching live and in person. Oy, it's been a while, but I'm going to do it. Uh, this the May 21st uh, on Bainbridge Island in Washington at Barn the Bainbridge Arts Resource Network. I think that's what it is. Anyway, I'll be teaching there. If you want to do a live fearless writing class with me, I'll be there. There's a link to it on my homepage of my website, williamcanower.com. You can sign up for it there. So wonderful conversation today with Connie Hertzberg-Mayo. Got her second novel out. Wonderfully written uh, historical novel set in 1890, New York. And uh, oh, we had a fun conversation about coming to uh, coming to writing a little later. Yeah, she came to it in her late 40s. Unusual, but that she did. So, you know, it's never too late for anyone. Uh, she grew up, uh, Connie did, in Westchester County, New York, but moved to Massachusetts to get her liter literature degree from Tufts University and never ended up leaving. Her first book, The Island of Worthy Boys, won the 2016 Gold Medal for Best Regional Fiction in the Independent Publisher Book Awards. And her short story, Little Breaks, was published by Calix Journal in 2017. And uh, her latest novel the sh is, like I said, The Sharp Edge of Mercy. It's out from Heliotrope Books. And, uh, well, I am so glad I get to share this conversation with you now. Enjoy. Oh, Connie. Connie, how are you doing? Graham, great. Yeah. Great to be here. Book number two, novel number two, The Sharp Edge of Mercy. Uh, when this podcast drops, it'll have just been out for few days how do you how do you feel right now we're ta we're talking the day before the launch so how are you feeling right now really good there's a lot going on I'm doing a lot of events that my publicist has, has uh, set up I'm really glad that my pub date is sort of in a pretty good pandemic moment because yeah. I know other yeah. authors were not so lucky so you just it's the luck of the draw so I'm very happy about that I have a number of in-person events scheduled and that's really great and you're in Massachusetts right I am. Yeah. And so the bookstores, you actually go to some bookstores. Is that part of the plan? Yeah. I mean, well, I have my one bookstore um, event that I uh, have scheduled is actually a Zoom, but I have other in-person um, events uh, scheduled, including one in Las Vegas that I'm really excited about. <laughs> so, really? You're going yeah. to Vegas? Yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is a historical novel set in New York dealing with a nurse. I just don't think there's a natural tie into Vegas or is that just? Uh, so I'm teaming up with another author who wrote a similar book and she lives in Vegas. So. Um, okay. Very so, good. Oh, very smart. Happy. Smart. Um, all right. So, so this is book number two, like I said, uh, the first one was a, was in the, it won the uh, golden, what was it? 
uh, the gold, uh, the Ippy, the gold for Ippy, which was a, um, you know, the independent publishers uh, award. Congratulations. Great start. Uh, but um, as you put in a few short stories, but usually writing, it's a long journey. Not always. Um, how did this start for you? Um, was writing always sort of a, a dream or is it something you stumbled on later in life? Listen, being an author was not a bucket list item, uh, but I had, uh, I was a literature major undergraduate and um, I sort of had this idea for the, for my first book for a very long time. And I thought I had actually forgotten about it. Um, and then um, the, then I was sort of reminded of it at the right moment when the internet was uh, a thing because uh, I'm old enough that my idea for my first book was pre-internet. <laughs> So the idea of writing with, I don't know how anybody ever wrote anything without the internet. It, I, it would just, what a time sink. There's no way I would have done it. So meaning you needed the research resource of it. Why, why was the internet helpful? Cause I know many writers. So you got to turn it off, turn off your connection to the internet. If you want to write anything. Right. Well, when you're writing historical fiction, man, you need to do a lot of research and um, so I have kids and I wrote my first book when my kids were sort of in the elementary middle school uh, mm -hmm. age yep. where you got to be around a lot. You know, you're doing a yeah. lot of stuff. And so I would write research and write uh, at off hours, you know, sort of when they were in school, you know, although I was I was working. So I was balancing working and, and kids and, and, and writing. And so I needed to take the time when I could get it. And the Internet right. really enabled that. Right. OK, so historical fiction. And so you you were in college, you're studying literature and, but you weren't like writing short stories and poems and little no. screenplays. No, you were just a student who liked to read, probably always liked to read. Yeah. Oh, always loved to read, uh, really liked to write, but never sort of saw myself uh, doing this. I'm not sure I really felt like I had the confidence to say that I could do it. So maybe I needed to be a little bit older and a little bit more sure of myself to even yeah. attempt it. So I started writing when I was, I guess I was in my late forties. So. Wow. Ooh, that's pretty late for writers. They usually, it it's not like violinists where you got to be seven, but usually it's like a little earlier than that. And so did you, when you were a young person, did you see writers as uh, like special people that sometimes is a, did you see them? Oh, as, yeah. 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 You I mean, you know, I, oh man, I, I just looked up to so many writers cause I was such a reader, but I I'm, I'm here to tell anybody who's listening that, you know, middle age is a perfectly fine time to decide <laughs> that you want to be a writer. I'm oh. telling you, I'm living proof. Oh, this is so good because I know a lot of our listeners probably fall into that category. And so you start in. And so when you started, um, what, why historical, what, what, what drew you there? I'm a big historical fiction reader. And I feel like, you know, one of the things that you hear about uh, when um, when people are asking about, you know, becoming an author is, uh, is sort of, you know, write what you read, right? Because you know, you know what works for you as a reader, you know, what was boring, you know, what was interesting in the genre that you read. I mean, if you read all genres, that's one thing, but I, I'm very specialized in my reading. And so I felt like this is what I love. And I, both of the books that I wrote are books that I would have loved to read. You know, you sort of write uh, write a book that you love to read. Yeah, and so since yeah, I'm yeah. a historical nerd, that's what I did. <laughs> wow. And so did you love the research? Was that fun for you also? 
Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I want, it was, it's equally fun. I have to say, and I know other historical writers and I think that they would say like, yeah, you know, you got to be a bit of a nerd to do it. And, uh, and I think the, the research is as fun as the writing. Here's a question for you, because I've been thinking about this. I play a game called Dungeons and Dragons, which you may have heard of and you may know is somewhat associated with nerdiness. Oh, Uh, yes. (laughs) Somewhat. I think somewhat unfairly, but (laughs) no, no, not really. Absolutely deserve it. But how would you define that word? You're a writer. You're a smart person. What does that word mean to you, nerdy? Like, uh, can you define it for me, if you would? Um, I think it has a lot to do with depth. Uh, when you get into, I mean, I know some D and D players and like, you know, you're never halfway into it. Even when you play, <laughs> you just, you love it and you love everything about it. And I think, you know, I'm also a, um, I'm an analyst, a systems analyst yeah. for my yeah. paying job. Yeah. And um, I'm a total nerd there too. Like I, you know, write code and write technical documentation and I just love to get in the weeds. And I think that that is something that's true of D&D players and authors, you know, I sort of feel like all authors are nerds in a way because you have to get so deep in it. You care about the minutia. You know what? It's so funny. You said that the first time I went to a writer's conference, I was a young man and writers were just, I mean, this is what I wanted to be. And they were artists. I admired a lot of artists, but writers I had held in particularly high esteem. I thought they were really cool. And then I went to a writer's conference and I thought, (laughs) you know, and look, they were, they loved what they were doing, but the, the nerd, Feel the vibe of a sort of like inner intensity focus was surprising to me. But here's something I, I'll, I'll push back a little bit in that if you're really going to be an author, you had to, like in your case, okay, so you love this, you love the, the, the granular detail of the research around the story. But don't you have to be able to translate your love to just anybody in a way? Don't you want to be able to speak to people regardless of whether they have the same intense love of the subject that you do? In other words, just yeah, find the yeah. universal within it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that um, th- there's one thing that s- specifically historical fiction authors are really prone to, which is info dump. Like you research yeah, something yeah, yeah. and then you fall in love with some little fact and man, you just got to <laughs> tell your authors all about it. So, um, and I'm very sensitive to that as a reader and a writer. And I definitely did a pass of edits to make sure that I was eliminating info dump. But um, so you want, it's a balance, right? You want to be able to include that detail that makes your readers feel like they can smell what the room smelled like and they can feel, you know, whatever the grit coming down from the L as they walk underneath it and and so forth. But you don't want to go too far and, and tell them stuff just because you know it. And you also, you know, there's this propensity also to sort of show off about like how much, you know, like, Oh, I researched, I'm so smart, but really, really have to watch that. I interviewed Margaret George, who's a great historical fictioner, but she writes like, Cleopatra, I think she did. Then she did uh, Queen Elizabeth. So she takes, she writes fictional, she writes fictional versions of characters' lives. She had Shakespeare in one and all that. So I was talking to her about it. And, you know, she really has to make sure her ducks are in a row in terms of getting the history right. But you're in a different category and that this is fiction. And it seems to me your primary goal still has to be tell a compelling story and put enough detail in that it is realistic. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be about the time as much as the character. Am I am I wrong? Uh, you are right. And I would go further and say that um, really good historical fiction uh, talks about uh, issues that uh, are resonant in, in, in current day. Right. Yeah. And I think that yeah. that's something that I really um, 
I think is really present in my latest book because um, there's there's just uh, a lot of a lot of issues that uh, that people are still dealing with today, and, and I think that that's what makes writing reading historical fiction interesting. If you're reading a book that um, has to do with something that that just is not an issue in current day life, I don't think it's all that interesting, you know. Right. So um, right. like this, the the primary theme. And my current book is all about medical ethics and end of life decisions and palliative care. Um, there's also a strong sort of me too theme, all mm-hmm. things that are super current, but were also really big issues 130 years ago. Yeah. And so I'm always curious when I started reading this book, sometimes it's obvious to me, but it wasn't with this one, which is sort of where it starts, you know, cause you got to start somewhere. When you started this book, did you start with a time, a place, a, a, character what what did, what was the germ that began this well, the germ for this book was similar to the germ for the first book so i if i wrote 10 more books i don't know if they it would always start this way but it starts with a setting for me hmm. um so uh, for this book i was looking to, i was interested in writing a novel concerning medical ethics and i heard a podcast um, called 99% Invisible, which is about uh, design architecture and design in broader terms. And this episode uh, was about architecture and was about the architecture of this hospital, which was very innovative at the time with its sort of round wards where no, there was no corners for dirt to accumulate and there was a certain ventilation system. It was very innovative. And so I just happened to hear this at the time that I was looking for a good juicy setting for medical ethics. And I thought, oh, you know, a cancer only hospital at the turn of the century when there was no radiation and no chemo and poor diagnostics uh, and people were afraid of hospitals. So they didn't come until it was like way too late and so forth. And I thought, oh, this is going to be just fertile ground for exploring this. And it really paid off. So you knew medical ethics. You knew that was you knew that you want. And and why is that? I just I'm uh, I'm interested in it. I mean, I think how long that, have you been uh, interested in it? Like, where did I, where does that go back to for you? Do you think? Um, well, although I am not a medical person per se, my uh, mom was uh, got her PhD in anatomy um, uh, back okay. in in the 1970s when there weren't a lot of women getting doctorates in STEM. Nope. nope. <laughs> So, um, so that was, um, that was definitely something I was interested in and, you know, at the risk of getting too personal during the three years that I was writing this book, um, both of my parents passed away, um, Mm. and my father, um, from cancer and my mother, um, from Parkinson's. So, uh, so issues, I started writing the book before all this bad stuff went down, but, um, I definitely, uh, I, I, I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't influential in the strength of my feeling about, um, how difficult some medical situations are. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask is I can't imagine that their passing didn't influence in some way, the writing of the book. I even perhaps without you even knowing it. Yeah. I mean, you know, they both, um, did not have a, a quick ending. And so, um, and I, uh, my sister and I actually were both, uh, in the room at the moment of our, both of our parents passing, which was quite a hat trick since this was in New York and I was in Massachusetts. And yet somehow we managed to do this. Right. It's a very intense experience and it really, um, you know, pretty much every day that I have lived after these experiences, you know, I, I think about end of life issues. You know, I, I can't not do that anymore. And so 
uh, it absolutely influenced um, uh, some of the things that went into this book. I would bet it made it a better book, honestly. Thank you. Not I, you I hope so. Yeah. I hope that something good could come out of it because it was brutal. It's a beautifully written book, by the way. And I, you know, people, you do the best you can, but I thought you did. A, it's really a beautifully told story. So I don't know how much time you spend laboring over that, but it, to me, it, it showed a lot of work and um, facility with just how a story is told. So, well, thank you. My I, hats off to you. Thank you. I, 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 I don't know if other authors do this, and you're an author, so maybe you can sort of comment on this, but. Um, so much writing goes on in my head. Um, I, the, the best scenes that I've written have all been pre-written in my head. Really? Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a big head writer. If that's a thing. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I will work over a scene like for scenes, like, like, like encapsulated scenes. So I will work over a scene while I'm in the shower, while I'm in the elliptical, while I'm taking a walk. And then I would say the best scenes that I've written that have been edited the least come out the, you know, the, the most, uh, the quickest, right? They, they, because they've all sort of been pre, uh, pre-formulated. Wow. And so when you say pre-written, do, are you like actually like word for word writing them out or just seeing the action and some of the dialogue? What, like how much writing is happening in your head? Um, quite a bit of it. There's a lot of um, actual dialogue that I'm sure. sort of reviewing. Um, and um, I think that uh, that I you were talking with one of your uh, previous guests about uh, the connection between sort of writing and acting is writing like acting. Uh, and for me, writing, I, I feel like I have a very screenplay orientation in my mind that I think of these scenes, I see them, I see the yeah. characters, I see who, who's on the left and who's on the right, you know, and that helps me really inform like, you know, what, what is actually going on and then what else is happening in the room and everything. So I see these things like movies in my head. Yeah. I, I think it's very helpful because <laughs> you have to be, cause we can't see them. <laughs> and so you've got to like say what's happening physically what is happening you know, it's one of the interesting things i teach memoir writing or i have clients often write memoir and that's one of the hardest things for them to get is like you know you've got to look at your life like a movie so we can see it because in when it happened someone was on your left and someone was on your right and the door was over there but when you're writing fiction you have to think that way because it's all coming from nothing right. and and so oh it's good and so so you're sort of seeing it play out in your mind because i was thinking linguistically even this was so strong. Does that come to you in the moment more? Um, it, it does a lot of, uh, you know, when you're writing dialogue that's supposed to be happening 130 years ago, you really yeah. want to make sure it doesn't sound like it's happening today. That, yes. you know, you, you, so, you know, certain slang. And then, and then I like to really play with my characters' voices, you know, that like somebody who um, like in, in the book, there's a, um, a sort of a supervisor of the main character and she has this sort of like sharp Irish wit. And then there's the caretaker for the main character's sister. And she also has sort of a different kind of wit, like a dry humor. So I always try to, when I will write a, a sentence, I, I usually edit on the fly. I don't sort of write a chapter and then go review it. Right. I'm reviewing like every sentence and I try to be very sensitive to who is this character? Does this sound like this character? Is the reader gonna know it's this character because of, of the, the slang that's being used or whatever? Um, even if I don't identify, even if I didn't identify who it was, 
hopefully the voice of different characters is strong enough that you'll be like, oh, of course that person would say that. You know, of course they would yeah. use that slang. Ideally, I was telling, I, forget, I think it was my daughter about this because she was writing. I was like, ideally, we know who's talking before you even signal he said, she said, so-and-so said. It, it's yeah. so clear in their language. It's not always easy to do because people sound alike. Right. So you're a systems analyst, which yeah. I know the term. I have no idea what that is. Don't try to explain it to me. It's okay. uh, I won't. <laughs> but I'm curious about this. What do your co-workers think about this, this side hustle you've got going of a uh, historical novelist? Um, I think a lot of them sort of, uh, sort of can't believe, can't believe it because it's so, um, uh, it's such a departure. It's, it's so different uh, from what I do. Although I would sort of argue that, you know, it's uh, both of these, both my paying job and my author job <laughs> are about like, good written communication, right? Like writing a really uh, uh, a good novel that people like is not, there's some relationship to being able to write an email that everybody understands about something that's super complicated and technical. It's about like communication clarity in a certain sense. So I guess I would make that connection, but, but really one is more, much more art and one's much more science. Well, I would, I would think that the systems analyst having already admitted, I don't really know exactly what you're doing, but it's somewhat contained in the title that it more of a left. I want to make sure I was getting confused. The, it's more the left brain, I believe. Yes, left the, logical is how I Yes, read. that's what, right. <laughs> I would think that that's, that would be very much the case, that that's what you're relying on. Yes. And I, and I think that I need both of those pieces in my life because I can't be totally left brain and I can't be totally right brain. So to me, it makes perfect sense that I spend some of my waking hours doing really left brain stuff and some doing sort of right brain artistic stuff because I feel like, oh, that makes balance. And a lot of people are like, well, which one are you? I'm like, well, I'm both. (laughs) Oh, that's impressive. But do do you feel that there is some left brainy stuff in the writing or is it, in your mind, is it kind of all just the intuitive receptive part of you? Uh, I think like the the research is, there is a sort of left brain piece of it. The organization, I mean, as you know, as an author, there's a lot to organize. You got to, right. you got to stay organized uh, or else you sort of end up with a hot mess. Right. And so, um, so that piece I think is, is a bit left brain, the, the keeping, keeping your research and keeping your writing organized. Now you, you, you refer to your day job as the paying job. You do get paid something <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for your yes. books. I do you, get royalty checks. <laughs> you do get royalty checks. But they're small. <laughs> I understand. This is how, and you know, and you know, what's great. I, I actually think your approach uh, is, is a very healthy one because you're not putting any pressure on yourself to, you're not, you're not trying to see, I live this trying to escape a life through your hoping that the fiction will free you from a life that you are otherwise shackled to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely, I'm so glad you brought this up because, uh, that, uh, is absolutely true. I, I, I never had objectives of, quitting my day job. I really like my day job. Um, and, uh, this, so this was, and it does totally take the the pressure off of it. I I had goals. I have goals for writing. They're not financial goals. Uh, my goals are about having, um, you know, as many people, uh, read my, my books, um, as possible. But so that, that makes, you know, if somebody gets my book out of the library, I'm pretty much just as happy as if they bought it, because what I care about is that they read it. Right. Oh, that's such a healthy attitude, such a healthy attitude. It's so healthy 
it's probably going to lead to the kind of success that would allow you to quit <laughs> if you wanted to. I guess that was one of my questions. I, and it's maybe a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Like, if that were to happen, could you ever see yourself doing this full time? Are you like, no, I, I got to have that other job, too. I, I would miss it. I'm going to go. Definitely. No, definitely. Definitely not interested in giving up my job, no matter what happens um, with the book, because um, I, I don't, I really, I know people who will sit down and be like, okay, eight hours, I'm going to write, I'm going to, you know, go to lunch and I'm going to walk and I'm going to write some more. I actually don't want to write all day. (laughs) I understand. Uh, because, and, and the, because maybe it's because of the way that I write, because a lot of it is just mulling stuff over in my head. And then, you know, I probably spend more time writing in my head than I do sitting at a desk and, and, and writing. So I don't know, it would just be so much pressure to, to just produce. Like to me, there's long gaps of time where I'm not thinking about writing and then I'm thinking about writing again. And, and this is why I'm a slow writer, of course, right. but, um, but I, I really don't want to write eight hours a day. I, it, it doesn't have to do with oh, finance or anything, you know? I actually don't know many writers who can, who can write eight hours a day. You know, if a full day for some people, for me, it's less, could be four hours. Like, but think about work though. I don't know what your job's like, but I remember being, I didn't spend much time in an office. I was in restaurants for a while, but I, there wasn't a lot of working going on that I actual working had. Whereas when you're writing, you kind of, even if you're doing nothing, you're doing like, even if I'm just sitting here thinking about my scene, I still feel like this is work. This is me doing it. Does that make yeah. sense? Whereas in, oh. Yeah. In a job, there's a lot of coffee drinking and BSing, and which I, I think is just fine. But it's, with yeah. writing, you're kind of doing it, right? Yes. And so um, so I, uh, so when it comes to what's next for me, I actually have my next book fully outlined. Um, and I haven't, and I've done just a tiny bit of research. And there it, there it sort of stays because I'm not, um, I'm not really ready to sort of plunge in yet, but yet I sort of feel like. All right. Well, this is interesting. Well, I sort of feel like I'm, I am writing and I'm doing air quotes. Your people can't see that. (laughs) Because, because sometimes when I am on the elliptical, I'm thinking about a scene that would be in that book. So it's not, I'm sort of not writing, but not, not writing. (laughs) The muse. The muse, she doesn't care what you're doing. She's there yeah. all the time. She'll talk to you whenever. She doesn't differentiate between I the know. elliptical and the writing desk. <laughs> so this is interesting to me. So you have outlined, but you have not done much research. So is this a time period that you're already relatively familiar with? No. How, okay, so wait, how do you, how can you cope with the story? I would think you would need to do the research to really be able to tell the story, but no, you have a basic well, outline without this, without the Yeah, research. well, I can, I can make this all make sense for you. Okay. So as I was researching the first book, I came across uh, some knowledge, some information that I didn't have before, which was that there's a whole area of Boston that was taken by eminent domain in uh, the 1950s to make way for uh, Mass General and some housing and so forth. And it really destroyed this neighborhood called the West End. Um, and um, which was really a, a very culturally diverse neighborhood. And, and it, I found this, this very interesting. Um, and so I wanted to, I ultimately wanted to circle back and I had always thought, oh, that would be, a, I could make a great novel out of that. And I sort of thought and thought about it. And I thought, oh, now I really know how I would convey this, how I would turn this into a novel. Um, and uh, so but the only reason that it's outlined is because I took, um, there's a writing center in Boston called Grub Street and, and they've been wonderful. I've totally yeah. taken a lot of courses, very supportive, been to their, um, been to their conferences and so forth. 
Um, and I took during the pandemic when I felt like I was really stagnating, I took a course, it was a sort of jumpstart your novel and they sort of force you to uh, outline your, your, your book down to the very chapter. So I can tell you this okay. book has 41 chapters. Oh, I can tell you what happens in each one of them. I have a profile of each of the main characters and there's like a whole bunch of them. And I didn't think I was like, there's no way I can do this. And I did it because they sort of make you do this. So okay. that's the only reason just because I took this course, it's the only reason that I have this whole thing lined up, but I'm just not ready to plunge in. But, yet. but, okay. But will things do you, accept that something might change in either the research or just sometimes you write along and a character says something you didn't predict and like, Oh, I see. Oh, definitely. He's a banker, not a baker. I yeah. mean, what, <laughs> does that, that ever happen to you? <laughs> well, actually it, in the writing, the, the most profound example of that is in um, the writing of my book that's uh, coming out uh, tomorrow, because originally, as I said, it was really supposed to be about the medical stuff. Um, and I always thought, okay, well, you know, there's, it's about nursing and of course the doctors there are going to be jerks, but I didn't really have like a, I didn't think that the doctor in the story was really going to be this main character. But so as I'm writing this and started writing in the 2017 and as I'm writing this, you know, of course, like the me too movement is really picking up steam yeah, and there's yeah. a hashtag and there's, you know, Harvey Weinstein and so forth. And so this, this piece of it starts growing, like, and I really didn't predict that, but it starts forcing its way into the story. <laughs> and then uh, sort of as I was writing the peak of like their relationship, so the main character um, and uh, and the, the surgeon, they had, he, he, he sort of engages her in these Socratic debates and right. you know, he sort of draws her in. And as I'm writing this, like it really, the main part of this was during the Kavanaugh hearings. And then I was like, oh, man, I'm just not even going to try to control this anymore. This is, we're just going for this. Yeah. So, so that's hey, how that happens. That, you know what? Use it, baby. You got to yeah. use it. You got to. I, I didn't even have a choice. I'm telling you, it just it wrote itself. It really. did. Well, oh, geez. Well, uh, there's stuff in the news right now that might be informing your next book. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, right? absolutely. We won't get into it. It's not that kind of a show, but I'm sure many of the writers I know have been affected by this and are a little upset about it. Uh, all right. So you seem like a prime candidate for uh, a book club meeting. Will you, are you willing to either through zoom or maybe in person talk to book groups about your book? Uh, so book uh, book groups, being a guest author at book groups is my favorite kind of event. And I always say, uh you know, my fee's pretty simple. It's one glass of wine. And, uh, so I, I did, I did a, a large number of book groups for the first uh, book I hope to do. And that was pre pandemic. So nobody really did zoom. Right. Uh, but then, um, so I, I look forward to doing both in person and zoom um, uh, uh, guest authoring for a book group. So if any of anybody listening wants to have their book group um, read the book and uh, I'm happy to zoom in as, as the guest author. And is it Connie? May is it Connie? What's your website? I was that's where I was coming uh, to. Next. It's ConnieMayo.com. ConnieMayo.com. Yes. So, but Zoom, you got to bring your own wine. Are you willing to do that? Yeah. I, I, that's easy for me to do. There's always a bottle in the fridge. I got okay, tell good. So. I was picturing white wine. Ah, yeah, you're right. Good, just as I was thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, all right, people, you know, it's going to be a good conversation. Ah, she's so interesting. She's got a life besides writing. So, you could talk to her about systems analysts or you raised kids. You're married you got you got a full life you got crazy yep. cats it's good and so um but all right I, i'm almost through with you but not quite so again the book is the sharp edge of mercy beautifully written if you like beautifully written uh historical fiction buy it 
<laughs> buy it. You won't be disappointed. Um, and it's on sale now where all fine books are sold. But I got one more question for you, Connie Mayo. Uh, I want you to put your thinking cap on and finish this sentence. If writing, all the writing you've done, maybe even your emails <laughs> in your job has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Being an author has taught me to be more confident. It's forced me to be more confident and to believe uh, more in myself that I can uh, I can do things that I thought only lofty people could do. Yeah, maybe you're lofty. Maybe. You're <laughs> maybe. Lofty. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> well, thank you, uh, Connie. This has been great. Great. Thanks so much. does it she's right kind of teaches us teaches us about confidence because you gotta you can't you can't believe that people who have success are different than you people get published are different than you nah we're all the same we're all lofty in our own ways it's true i want to thank my producer rj jeffries awesome as always and to all of you out there Go find something, absolutely anything, that you just love doing and do it. Mm-hmm.